one of the best parts of being a Christian and being a part of a church is that when we do things right, um, it kind of trains us to get the attention off of ourselves. Um, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you were thinking about it from your perspective and then you had this kind of realization where you thought, oh, this moment, this thing that I'm doing or we're doing, it's not about me. Uh, we were on vacation just a few weeks ago in Washington State, and the weather was cool, like upper 60s, low to mid 70s, no humidity. It was just nice and beautiful. Everything was green and wonderful. There were mountains everywhere. The landscape was great. Um, and so we, it was just, I really enjoyed that um, because I've, I've made no secret of this, but I consider myself to be an indoor cat. Um, and mainly that's because of summer. Some of you love summer. You like the heat of it all. You like being able to go outside and do all kinds of things. I do not like the hot, muggy, always sweating kind of thing. Summer's my least favorite season. And so going out there, it was just everything I wanted. It was like fall weather, but like in July. Um, and then if you wanted something even cooler, we climbed a mountain and we threw snowballs in July, another experience I'd never had, right? And so... Um, we were there, and it was wonderful, and the weather was great, and I wanted to be outside because I wasn't getting, you know, eaten by mosquitoes or covered in ticks or sweating, like, profusely and losing, like, five pounds an hour in water weight. And so um, another thing about vacation was I took a book to read, but a book that was fun to read. Abby makes fun of me because I, I don't read books that are, from her perspective, fun, a.k.a. fiction or something that's entertaining. I read books that are like on leadership or spiritual growth. That's what I do most of the time. But I took a fun book on vacation. I took um, The Silmarillion, which is like a prequel book to The Lord of the Rings. And there were a few times where we were out in Washington, and the weather was so beautiful, and the, the landscape was so amazing to look at, and the book was so good that all I wanted to do was just sit in the cool weather, sip some coffee, and get lost in this book. But that is not what the rest of my family wanted me to do. Um, there were sights to see, there were mountains to climb and souvenirs to buy, and there, were a time, there was a time or two where I was getting frustrated by how little time I was being allowed to read my book. You know, like, uh, but then I had this kind of moment where it's like, hey, Anthony, this isn't about you. Like, yes, a vacation, I did go to vacate a little bit, but when you're on a family vacation, it's more about the family. It's not just about what I want to do or how I want to escape and get lost in a book. Like, my family had things they wanted to do and, and people they wanted to be around and, and moments to enjoy. And so every time I started to get a little grumpy, I kind of had to get in my own head and say, okay, hey, dummy, this isn't about you. And um, even though, again, I wanted to vacate, but when you're a parent, you always got a parent. You can't just disappear uh, and, and sink away. But it is so tempting so often in life, tons of moments where we get caught up in what we want to do, what, I, what would be fun for me in a particular moment, what's going to make me happy in a given moment. And we live in a world that heavily enforces this tendency. It says, you do what makes you happy, you, may, you go out and you chase your dreams, you do you, whatever the wording is. It's all about just you focusing on you. And so it's good for us to have a place that kind of nudges us in the opposite direction, that tries to pry our eyes off of ourselves and look at the rest of the world, to think outside of ourselves. 
Now, we're in the third week of this series that we're calling Sidelines, um, and we're talking about why Christians should serve in the church. Uh, in week one, we read from the New Testament letter of Ephesians, and we discovered the rather shocking statement that all Christians are ministers, that, that the work of ministry, like sharing your faith and taking people who are younger than you and trying to grow them up in the faith and telling other people about Jesus and comforting the sick, those works of ministry aren't just left to those who are leaders in the church, but rather all Christians are to do the work of ministry, and the primary job of leaders is to train Christians to do the work of ministry. And so that was a, you know, maybe a, a disconcerting realization from the first week of the series. Uh, but last week, we saw that serving is a necessary element to you being grown spiritually, it's an absolutely necessary component to you being transformed into the person Jesus wants you to be. And if you choose not to serve, that puts a roadblock in your path of faith because Jesus has called us to be people who give our lives away. Now, it is entirely possible, based on the first two weeks, that you walked out of here and looked at serving still from only a perspective of how it affects you. Right? You could have been like, I don't want to be a minister. I don't, that sounds like a lot. That's pretty intimidating. I don't know if I'm in, on board for that. Um, you might have thought that, like, okay, after last week, you might have thought, okay, serving is something that is good for me. Okay, so I don't have to like it. It's more like eating your vegetables. Like, it doesn't have to taste good, but I have to do it. Okay, it's good for me. Okay, maybe. And you can walk away looking at serving from that selfish perspective, self-focused perspective. Um, but if you do that, you're only going to see a tiny sliver of what it really means to serve the church of Jesus Christ. And um, believe it or not, and this is hard for me to hear sometimes, and it's, it might be hard for you to hear sometimes, but believe it or not, this isn't about you. That is one of the saddest things that has happened in the last hundred years of the church, is that it has somehow allowed us as Christians to think that we can come and just be consumers that we can come and be spectators, that we can come and be an audience. And that is not what it means to follow Jesus. Sitting and doing nothing is not following. Coming one hour a week and hearing a sermon and then doing nothing the rest of the week and never changing, never loving, never sharing Jesus with anyone in any way, shape, or form, that's not following Jesus. And so as we... Um, look at what it means to serve Jesus. Today, hopefully, we're going to kind of pry our eyes off ourselves, and we're going to hopefully widen the definition of what it means to truly serve. And we're going to start by looking at a letter in the New Testament written by one of Jesus' closest friends during his earthly ministry, a man named Peter. Peter wrote a couple of letters that we have in our New Testament. We're going to look at the first one, creatively named First Peter. And in the section that we're looking at, Peter is talking to Christians, and he's trying to explain how they need to live in light of the fact that they are living in the last days, all right? The last days gets to be kind of a scary term in, um, in Christian circles, but basically, in the New Testament, they consider the time between Jesus' resurrection and the time when he comes back to kind of restore and redeem all things, last days, okay? So when you think of last days, don't think of Last days of summer break. Oh no, we're, we got two weeks left before school starts. Time is short. Um, think of all of human history and the thousands and thousands and thousands of years that have been building up of human history. And the last few thousand are called, considered the last days. And so he's trying to explain to Christians how they need to act in these last days. And so he says this in 1 Peter, we'll start in chapter 4, verse 8. 
He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Now, he's saying there's a lot of stuff you're going to need to do. You had a lot of going on in your life. We're busy people. But he says, above all, before all of that stuff, your main focus, your main concern needs to be loving one another earnestly. And he says, since love covers a multitude of sins. And you might notice there's nothing in there that specifically says anything about serving. We'll get to that. But before you talk about serving, he talks about loving. Because the idea of loving in the New Testament is that you and I give our lives away for the good of other people. The New Testament idea of love is not the thing we get in our culture where, oh, it made me feel so good, and I love them, and they're so sweet, and they're cute. Oh, my gosh. And all this. It's not that inward-focused, this makes me feel a certain way love. Love is a driving force in the New Testament that turns people outward to give their lives away for the good of other people. Biblical Christ-like love is an outward-focused thing. It's a call to get your eyes off of yourself and to put them on others so that you can do what's best for them, not what's best for you. And I need to hear that. You need to hear that. My natural tendency, again, is to think about me. What's best for me? What do I want to do? What's going to be fun for me in a given moment? Sitting with my feet up, sipping nice, wonderful coffee, looking at mountains, closing my eyes every now and then, and maybe dozing off for a bit, and then coming back to my book. That kind of, that sounds great. Not corralling kids every second of every, that sounded like an okay vacation to me, right? And so we need moments, though, where We pry our eyes off ourselves, and we do the hard work of looking out for the interests of others. And, um, you know, one of the most wonderful and unpleasant things about being married to Abby, and this this isn't as bad as it sounds um, so far, is that she's naturally more selfless and generous than me. And it's wonderful because that grows me as a man of God. She pulls me closer to being more like what Jesus wants me to be, generous and, and giving. But the bad part about that is, is that she's constantly wanting to give away all of our food, money, and stuff. And I like our food, money, and stuff. And sometimes she just says, no, we should give this to other people. One of my favorite things to do is we'll get sometimes a big pork roast, and we'll cook this giant pork roast and have pulled pork, like a mountain of pulled pork. Um, and I love that because to me that means, yay, pulled pork for days. Just endless amounts of pulled pork. I'm going to eat pulled pork till I'm sick of it. I can't wait. This is going to be so good. And every time we get a big old mountain of pulled pork, my first thought, again, is, yay me. Her first thought is, let's come have some people over and get rid of all this pulled pork. And that makes me sad every single time. And we've had this discussion, I don't know how many times, and I I never get days of pulled pork. I never win, and it's probably for the best. Um, But, I mean, that's the way she thinks, not the way I think, And, and when I read scripture, and as much as much, I, naturally, I want to be like, oh, I get grumpy. I read scripture, and I'm like, no, man, this is good for you to pull your perspective outside of yourself. And that's what love does. It begs you to open your eyes to what is happening around you rather than just in you. And it makes you think about other people and not ask, what do I want? What do I need? But what do they need? What do other people have going on in their lives? What needs exist for them? Are there ways where I can help Uh, And so love compels you to be concerned with who in here is hurting. Are there people in here who have just been beaten up by life and they're super discouraged and they just need somebody to come along and encourage them and be a little bit of support for a season? Um, It calls us to ask, are there any parents who wake up nervous that they're going to be able to feed their kids this week? It calls us to be 
concerned with, are there any widows who are lonely? It wants us to say, are there any kids who come into the kind of gravity of the church through Sunday mornings or through student ministry? Is there any, any students that come in, any kids who come in who are just desperate for love because they're not getting it at home? Love tells us, compels us, begs us to ask those kinds of questions. It invites you to care about the people in this church. It love invites you to invest in the people of this church and to serve the people of this church. And so the second most important thing you will ever learn about serving is that you serve to bless others. Like, we can talk all day about you being happy serving and you finding your spot and you being able to use your gifts and you being fulfilled serving and it growing you spiritually. Those things are all true, but they, I think, fall under the true reality that the real reason we serve is to bless other people. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus who served, who died on the cross to give his life away so that we might be blessed. He did not die on the cross for himself. He did that for you and I. And so we serve primarily for others because it's not about us. And so that means we think about others. Even when serving isn't convenient or easy, we serve because needs exist. And, we're, and we use whatever God has given us, our skills, our stuff, our money, our time, our energy, our knowledge, our pulled pork, whatever it might be, we use what we have to serve and share the love of God with others and to bless them. And then Peter goes on to start kind of unpacking what does it mean to love people earnestly. And the first thing he says, kind of, again, goes to show you how dumb I am with my pulled pork. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I don't think what I just did was grumbling. Like, I grum grumbled, but I was like, but I should, like, it was kind of, I'm, I'm bad for doing it. So maybe that makes up for it. Um, and then he says, so this first example is that we should show hospitality without grumbling. Uh, this is just opening your home and your life to people, giving parts of your inner life away for the good of others. Um, and I know what I think of hospitality, but to understand what he's saying, you got to kind of rewind and go back to the first century. There were no church buildings. Um, they met in like synagogues and, and taught, uh, listened to scripture be taught and read and stuff like that. But a lot of the church life took place in homes, communion, meals, Prayer together, that all took place in homes. And so in the early church days, there was a requirement that certain people would willingly, regularly open their homes for the Christians to come in to do the work of church. And so um, what was probably also true is not everybody had the room for that. There, it was um, few people who had the resources to kind of open their homes and roll out the red carpet for a larger group of people, even a smaller-ish group of people. Um, could be difficult for some. And so that means that there was probably a few people in the church who were repeatedly opening their homes, opening their refrigerators, metaphorically speaking, to the rest of the church. And that might not have been the people who loved being hospitable. Some of you love hospitality. You hear somebody coming over, you're like, yes, and you start into prep mode automatically. Like you're cleaning the house, you're washing bedding, you're making sure oh, there's all kinds of food because apparently the golden sin of having someone at your house is, you know, them not being miserably full all the time. Um, and you do all the things. You threaten your kids, shove all your stuff under your bed and keep all the toys out of the walkways because we got people coming over. You know, you do all that prep stuff because that's what you think of when you're a hospitable person. 
I am not, you might have guessed, a naturally hospitable person. I want to be. It's just not me. My first inner thought, and again, just being honest here because we're all friends and family in church. Um, uh, my first thought when, people, when I hear people are coming over is not yes, but oh, no. Like that's kind of how, oh, man, people. Because I, I probably had my feet up reading a book, you know, and that's going to interfere with that kind of thing, right? And so um, we, that's just not my thing. And so some of the people who were like me, probably had to open their homes regularly in the days of the early church. And like me, they would be like, oh my gosh, this is so exhausting. Oh my goodness, these people just keep coming in and taking all of our stuff. It's so inconvenient, that's so much work to do. And so because people like me probably had to open their homes, Peter added that little second part of the verse, which is without grumbling. Meaning, sometimes there's going to be a need, and you aren't going to love to meet it. But you're going to anyway, because that's what the love of Christ compels us to do. There are requirements sometimes for us as believers. And so uh, grumbling, by the way, is repeated whining and complaining. And so it's tempting to complain in moments where you're not serving in a place that you want to serve. But sometimes there's just a need, and we can meet it. And rather than saying, you know what, that's not my favorite thing to do, let's find somebody else who that is their favorite thing to do, when we could just rush in and meet the need. I think there's more of that kind of a drive here than what we often like to think about. He goes on uh, to talk a little bit about what it means to serve. And we actually find the word serve showing up here in verses 10 and 11. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Varied means not like levels of grace, like I got more grace than you did. It means different kinds. Like some of you are, again, you ha you, God showed you grace by helping you be a hospitable, overflowing, generous person. God showed me grace, not that way, but other ways sometimes. Um, but, and God showed you grace, you know, so it's, it's not a, a levels thing or amount. It's variety in terms of, you know, what types of grace were given and gifts were given. And it says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, meaning if you're someone who has a gift that leads you to stand up and say things in church, you you, your goal is to say the words of God. Not your own stuff. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supp supplies so that you're not bragging, look how good I am, how smart I am, how talented I am, but you're just doing and using the gifts God gave you. And so what this means, though, it says each has received a gift, is what he says, that every person in the church has something to offer that can be a blessing to the other people in the church family. And that flips upside down how we think about gifts and talents and skills in our culture. In our culture, you have the gifts and talents and skills that you have so that you can build a life that makes you happy or so that you can get some notoriety from people. Oh, man, the social media age, everything is content. Any skill you have. I saw somebody crocheting ramen noodles online the other day. Why? I don't know, but I watched it. Why? Like, people get likes for stuff like that. And so our world says, you got any, anything that you're good at, you, you video that and you put it online so people will like your stuff. You'll get all the followers, maybe get a brand deal, start raking in some money, and then it's all for you. You use your gifts, your talents, your skills for you. But every time we see this talk, about, this talk of, of gifts and using your gifts in the New Testament, it's always outward focused. It's you use your gifts for the good of the church, not for your own good. It's completely and utterly backwards from what we tend to think. And so when you serve, 
Wherever you serve, you are being a blessing to other people, to other members of the church family. If you serve as a greeter, you get to ensure that everyone who walks in the doors um, knows that someone is glad that they came. Everybody comes in assured that they belong and that they matter. If you serve in the kids' area, you get to help kids know that they are loved by God and that they matter as a person. You get to help instill that in them from the earliest ages so that they never know anything different. If you serve in a community outreach event, you have a chance to take the love of Jesus outside the walls of our church so that we can show that our community, this is what the love of Jesus is like. It's not anything like you've heard of or experienced before. It's this beautiful outflowing thing. And you get the chance to just show that love in a way that maybe you wouldn't have the opportunity to do. Um, if you serve helping with students, uh, you have a chance to take students who are at a very pivotal moment in their lives and you help them to discover the person God made them to be. Um, because students now are growing up in a world where they are sent on a wild goose chase for identity. They just said, you have to figure out who you are with no help from anyone else. The answer is inside you. And they have to just dig around and hope and try to latch onto anything that gets them any sort of pat on the back from the world. And it ends up being um, a, a chase that leads to sadness and confusion and anger. But we know who God made us to be. We know that we are meant to be um, beautiful creations that reflect the glory of God. And so we get a chance to help students be grounded in something, to be known and valued and loved. And um, maybe the way that you're able to serve your church family isn't in an official like volunteer spot. Maybe you just talk to somebody and you know that, man, they're just life is just kind of beating them up and they got a bunch of different things kind of hitting them at once and you just decide, you know what, I can help them. I can serve them. Maybe you say, can I pay a bill for you just to ease the pressure in this moment? Can I just come over this week and we can just hang out together and you can just distract them and, and be a good friend in the moment of, of this distress that they're going through. Or maybe you hear that someone in your church family is in the hospital, so you go up to visit them and you think, but I hate hospitals, but it's not about you. It's about the needs that exist and the hope and the help and the healing that we can bring to people in whatever situation they find themselves. So you serve to bless others. Now, if you're really paying attention, you might have noticed that I said that was the second most important thing that we can learn about serving. And if you didn't hear me say that, shame on you. You should hang on every word in the sermon. That's how this is supposed to work. Um, but it is the second most important thing. Okay, Really important, but it is the second most important thing. The most important thing is found in verse 11, the second half of it. We didn't read it. We're going to read the whole of verse 11 over again. He says, so whoever speaks... As one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the most important thing you need to know about serving is that you serve to glorify God. We give our lives away to reflect and shine God's goodness to the world. We live in a world that is broken, and you can look any corner of the world and see that. You can, you can see all the different horrific 
things that are happening in the news. You'll just hear random stories about a celebrity that went off the deep end and did horrible things or somebody in your community that went off the deep end and did horrible things. You don't have to look very far to realize the brokenness of the world. But the church should be a place that almost literally shines something different, that proclaims something different, that helps people's attention and hope and hearts be drawn to the goodness of God. The main reason we serve is so that people will see how absolutely good God is, so that attention and focus would turn toward him and he would be praised more and more and more. And when everyone chooses... And everyone in the church chooses to get off the sidelines and into the game. And when we all choose to move from consumers to contributors, the, and, and the more people start being blessed and healed and helped and cared for, the more our church starts to exude this kind of light. And the more people that come into our midst start to experience God's presence through the actions and the love that is being poured out of our, uh, of our service. Now, if you've ever been blessed by the church, hopefully you had a moment where you thought, God just took care of me. And you might be, like, it was, you know, such and such over here that actually, you know, it was their hands that served me. But in a moment, I needed something, and God brought them to me in just that right moment, and that was God, God making that connection. God took care of me through the hands of a human person. That's how this works. We become the hands and the feet of God. And so as those moments happen where we realize, whoa, God just took care of me, and rather than spending all of our energy patting people on the back and saying, you're so awesome, you're so talented, you're so good, which is not, it's not bad. Some people thank you cards and stuff, that's fine. But there should be a bigger part of our hearts that goes, wow, God, thank you so much for that. Thank you for bringing that connection. Thank you for bringing them into my life. When we serve together, God is more glorified. And it happens more when we all serve together. When a few serve, that you, you get little pockets of it, but when a whole church comes together and just lives to be an outward focus, l- determined to love one another earnestly, it becomes a powerful, powerful thing. And you can not only cause other people to glorify God, but as you serve others. You're going to be blessed and served along the way, and you can glorify God. Maybe you do that by, on a Sunday morning when we all sing songs, you sing a little louder, because God needs to know how good he is, and you just feel like, man, I got to sing this from the rooftops. Maybe you just decide to glorify him by going to somebody who has um, something going on in their life, and you say, God showed up and blessed me. I'm blessing this. I'm passing this right on to you, because he's so good that this, this goodness shouldn't stop with me. There's so many ways that we should glorify God through our service. And you'll notice that it said, let me go back just a little bit. Notice it said that we glorify God through Jesus Christ. Now, the reason for that is the way we become Christians is because of what Jesus did for us. The way that we start experiencing the ability to show this outward love, the way that we start to be transformed is because Jesus died in our place on the cross and we can have salvation and transformation through him and through the spirit that he causes to live inside of us. He gives to live inside of us. And so the only reason we're able to be like Jesus and and do things that reflect the love of God is because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so all of it comes through Jesus. And so all of that makes us give God more and more glory. So as you... As Christians, feel the temptation to turn everything in on yourself, and it's going to be so tempting because that's what our world tells you to do. Our world is designed to make you think about you, to tell you how unhappy you are and how you'd be more happy if you did all these dumb things. 
like watch somebody knit an oven mitt out of ramen noodles or whatever they were doing. Um, there's all these ways that caused you to think about you. When that temptation comes, remember this, the church family. Remember, no, I have a place that pulls me outside of that, that pulls me, not, um, that pulls me into reality. Because reality of the world is, it's not about you. It's not about you. And I don't just say that. I mean, I'm saying that back at me, too. Here, you can, here, say it. Say it's not about you. How dare you? You guys are so... No, but that's like, that's... See, I, I, can hear, I need to hear that, too. It, it draws us to reality. Life is not about us, and we work so hard to make it about us. And so as we um, feel this temptation to fall into that poisonous perspective of how does this affect me, it's so good for us to be a part of the church and to be here regularly because it pulls us out of that and pushes us in the other direction. It helps us to see outside of ourselves and see how our behavior and lifestyle actually affect God and others. And the beautiful difference we can make when a church family comes together and says, no, we're going to love each other earnestly. We're going to give our lives away for others. And God has drawn us together so that we could be something more powerful than we could be together. One of the amazing things that's always been true of the church is the more believers that come together to, to, on this mission and give their lives away for this mission, the, it, it's almost an exponential thing. Like the work of two becomes four and so on. It just grows in a way that is, uh, it doesn't really make sense mathematically speaking. And so we have the opportunity, though, to make a difference together as a church that's far more than any of us could on our own, all while showing the world how good God is, that his love for us is one of service and sacrifice, and we just want to be people that ensure that that love is reflected in how we live. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful of this calling in our lives to give ourselves away. Jesus modeled that for us. And I thank you that, that we keep grounding ourselves on what Jesus has done for us on the cross and that we might be people who, like him, are determined to give our lives away. Even as we watch Jesus' years of ministry, he served and, and sacrificed. He went without food and sleep at times because people came to him begging for help, begging for healing. And he was so filled with compassion uh, when he saw those who were hurting that he he just was compelled to give himself for them. And I just pray that we, day by day, would be transformed to have that kind of love for others and that kind of love for our church. That we would not be more transformed by our world telling us to be more selfish than we would by uh, the Spirit calling us to give our lives away for the good of others. So thank you again for this calling. Thank you for this reminder. And thank you for the church where we get to create a place that reminds us that it's not about us, and that we get to serve and give our lives away for something much more meaningful than our own tiny little lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.